any guests we're hanging out with, just stoked to have you. I want to preach a message tonight called, Can a Christian? Dot, dot, dot. Can a Christian? And uh, you've got notes there as you came in. And this, this message comes out of a series we did a few weeks ago. And the series was called, You Asked For It. And what happens in the series is people submit questions that they want us to talk about. And one of the questions that came in, I, I, it, was, it was a message that I did in the morning. I thought, man, I've got to do this at night because you guys need to hear this as well. Um, the, the question that came in was this question. And this question came in bold, underlined, and with the footnote that said, I asked this question last year and you didn't answer it. Please answer it, underline, 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 underline. So I go answer it. The question was this, can a Christian drink wine? So I'm going to answer that question tonight. Are you ready? Yes. Band, can you guys come back up? We're just going to close our service out right there. Just, um, Lord, I thank you for today and uh, the shortest service in history. That was amazing, wasn't it? I didn't see that one coming. Let's all go home, have an early night. Hey, let's enjoy Daylight Savings. I didn't even realise it was Daylight Savings until last night because I've been so much in conference. I've been inside this building for the last seven days. That yesterday I was like, there's low light outside. What happened? And I missed it by a week. Anyway, the question, can a Christian drink wine? It really fits within a broader question. And what I want to do is I want to answer the broader question. The broader question is, what can I and what can't I do as a Christian? Can a Christian do this? Can a Christian do that? And, and, and I know that in this room tonight, there's many people on many different stages on a journey, maybe a faith journey, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while, maybe you're in this room and you're like, I don't even know who Jesus is and I don't even care. But like, despite your journey or where you are in that, I believe this question is gonna be helpful to you. One, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's gonna help clarify some stuff. But two, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we might make more sense to you. So I want to unpack this broader question. Maybe if the, my helpers can bring the board up, that'd be absolutely uh, amazing. Um, so the, this question, can a Christian drink wine, is it opens up and it fits within the broader question of what can I and what can't I do as a Christian? As a Christian, what are we allowed to do and what are we not allowed to do? Many people ask this question when I'm talking to them about faith. It's like, well, are you allowed to do that? Are you not allowed to do that? So we're going to unpack this a little more. Are you guys ready? This is going to be like a week's worth of Bible college in 25 minutes. So strap your seatbelt on, get your Red Bull ready because we're going for it, all right, people? All right. And I'm going to need your help because it's the end of the day and I'm tired. So just come with me on the journey. Are you with me? If you're with me, say, I'm with you, Steve. Oh, this is going to be good. Okay, so let's, let's, let's dive in. We're going to start over here, and we'll start with this thing we might call moral absolutes. So to answer the question, what can I do as a Christian? What can't I do as a Christian? Let's start over here with this thing called moral absolutes. Moral absolutes. Now, moral absolutes would be these things that are mentioned in Scripture that give us an express, strict, Moral absolute for our behavior and practice, the way we are to live. They will be things that are written in the Old Testament, that are affirmed in the New Testament. And then when you look at the weight of all Scripture, it would all line up and point towards this being the moral absolute standard for our kind of behavior. For example, things like don't kill people. Some of you are like, that's a thing. <laughs> don't, don't kill, don't lie, don't steal don't commit adultery, avoid sexual sin, don't be a gossip, don't be greedy. Those kinds of things will be things that we would say are moral 
absolutes. It's, it's an absolute standard for moral behavior. It's in the Old Testament. It's affirmed in the New Testament. The whole weight of Scripture would point to that being the, the thing that we stand on, right? Okay, so you, well, you're with me so far. Moral absolutes, okay. So then there are other things that aren't expressly spelled out in Scripture as clear moral absolutes. An example of this would be this. There's a very famous movie made many years ago uh, called Chariots of Fire. And it's the story of a runner called Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell was a British runner, and uh, he was a devout Christian, very devout Christian, loved God, loved Jesus. Uh, but he was a phenomenal runner. In fact, one of the greatest runners of all time. And he was an Olympic runner, and his, his express value that was in his Christian faith was that Sunday was a holy day, that Sunday was not to be messed with, that was the Lord's day, and so uh, he would not run or compete on a Sunday. And it turned out that his favorite event in the Olympics happened to fall on a Sunday, so he pulled out of that event and ran a different event on a different day. He actually won the different event, which was amazing, but he pulled out and ran a different event because he was convinced that as a Christian, he shouldn't run on a Sunday. Now, I could show you a hundred other Christian athletes who don't hold that same value around Sundays, who would happily compete on a Sunday, but are equally as convinced and devoted to Jesus as Eric Liddell. So this is where you would come into what we might call a conviction of personal conscience. A conviction of personal conscience. It's not a moral absolute it's a conviction of personal conscience. It's an area where you have a deep sense of conviction about, and, it's, and you carry that. And just because it's a, it's a conviction of your personal conscience doesn't mean that you can't back it up with biblical argument. Like you could back it up and be like, I can show you and prove my case to you that I can, this is, this is what it is, right? But you have to also understand that someone else could have an opposing view or a different view and equally back it up with biblical argument. So you, you have this little collide coming together, where we would, and it's what we would call a conviction of personal conscience. Are you with me so far? All right, so let's throw into the mix this other thing over this side, and we've got it in the same lane as the moral absolutes, and we might call it the essentials. Can you guys see this over here? If I stand here, is that better? Amen. This is what we'd call the essentials over here. So this is like the essential doctrines, essential, essential beliefs. It's kind of like if you want to nutshell a little bit, it'd be like, these are the essential things for getting into heaven. These are the essentials. And they fall within the same column as moral absolutes. Things like God as creator. Things like the deity of Christ, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the finished work of the cross, salvation by grace through, by grace through faith in Jesus. Those are what we would call the essential beliefs, okay? But then on the other side of the board, you have something else we call non-essential beliefs. These are the things that are maybe non-essential for getting into heaven. Like they're in, they're in Scripture, but they're maybe non-essentials. And they kind of fall within the category still in the same line as conviction of personal conscience. We've got these non-essentials. And these are the things right here, these non-essentials, these are the things that theologians and, and scholars throughout the centuries have argued about. They've had different opinions and different points of view, and they've like got, had robust conversation, and someone's saying this, and someone's saying that. So within this, non-essential might be like, is it pre, mid, or post-tribulation rapture of the saints? For those in the room who've never been in church before, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Steve. 
But for some Christians, that's a big deal. I'm like a pan-tribulation guy. It'll all pan out in the end. (laughs) Jesus is Lord, it'll all pan out. But it's a non-essential. It's not essential for getting into heaven that we all have to agree on that same thing. So it's it's what we call non-essential. And so throughout centuries, scholars and theologians, they've literally debated and haven't agreed on some of these non-essential beliefs. And throughout the centuries, there've been questions that have come up around what a Christian can and cannot do um, that have actually changed and been different throughout the centuries. And the question, can a Christian drink wine, falls in that category. Here's some uh, some other things that would fall into Uh, these questions that have been asked throughout the centuries. Can a Christian drink wine or alcohol? Can a Christian wear certain clothes? Can a Christian work on Sunday? Can a woman be in leadership and preach? Can a Christian watch certain TV shows or even own a TV? That was a thing at some point. Can a Christian eat certain food? Can a Christian have a tattoo? Can a Christian wear makeup? (laughs) Can a Christian wear makeup? Can a Christian go to a dance? Can a Christian have their ears pierced? Can a Christian go to war? Can a Christian go to the movies? Can a Christian smoke tobacco? (coughs) Can a Christian play sports? Can a Christian own certain things like a sports car or expensive shoes? Hashtag preachers and sneakers. At the core of all of these questions, they are non-essential. They're not essential for getting into heaven. At the core of all these things, they're non-essential beliefs. So if you've done Growth Track Week 1, which some of you have today, which is amazing, our Growth Track course is a four-week course designed to help you find your purpose. But if you've done Growth, tree, growth Track Week 1, you'd hear this in, that, in one of the videos. In the essentials, we'll say moral absolutes and essentials, in, in this area, we have unity. In the essential beliefs, in the moral absolutes, we have unity. We're all unified on our position on these things. But in the non-essentials and the convictions of personal conscience, we have liberty. We have unity on the essentials. On the non-essentials, we have liberty. We've got freedom according to our own personal conviction of how we're going to live this out. We have liberty. But in all things, we show charity or love. See, the law of love supersedes all of it. Love is the highest value. And so the law of love has to govern all of this. We have unity and we have liberty, but in all of it, we have charity or we have love for one another. In other words, we aren't always going to agree, but we can all agree to get along. Can I get an amen for that? So if you come across an issue like this issue, like can a Christian drink wine? Can a Christian have a tattoo? All these kinds of questions. If you come across these questions, ask yourself this. Is it an essential or is it a non-essential? If it's an essential, hold to it and don't budge. If it's a non-essential, you've got liberty. But however, there are some things that should govern the way we use our liberty. This, it's not just, there's some other things we need to consider here. And so what I wanna do um, is this. What I wanna do is give you two thoughts And three questions to help you understand when it comes to this kind of stuff, how you can use the liberty God's given you and how you can position yourself well to flourish in the things of God. Two points, three questions. If you're still with me, say, I'm with you, Steve. Thank you, Annalise. I appreciate that. Okay, first thought is this. Number one, when it comes to this kind of stuff, convictions of conscience and non-essentials, number one, be careful of legalism. Be careful of legalism. As humans, we love to make rules. 
We just love to make rules. And Christians are the worst. Like we'll make rules about everything. You can't do that. You can do that. Don't do that. Like we get all crazy and grumpy about everything. It's just Christians can be the grumpiest people on planet Earth. We're going to be the most like, it's like we got baptized in lemon juice. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> I'm allowed to make fun of them because I am one, right? It's like, it's like telling skinny white guy jokes. I can tell them, right? So we love to make rules. When God first created stuff, He gave 10 commandments. Guess what the religious people did? They took those 10 and made over 600 laws. This is make a whole bunch more rules that we're going to follow. Like It's going to put rules. And if we're not careful, when it comes to things like convictions of conscience and non-essentials, if we're not careful, we'll make rules out of everything. If we're not careful, we'll start to take everything. We're going to make a rule, make a rule, make a rule on, on all kinds of stuff. And if we're not careful, we can take a conviction of personal conscience and say it's a law for everybody. We can say, take something that's a personal conviction for us and say, that if it's, if it's a conviction for me, it should be for every single Christian everywhere. And we start to get legalistic about it. And then we start to get judgmental when other people don't line up with our standard of Christianity that God has called us to. This is not a new issue. You gotta understand, this is not a new issue in the church today. This is an issue from day one in the church. This is an issue from the early church. Way back in Acts, around chapter number 15, there was a debate going on. There was tension going on, and Luke speaks into this when he writes in the book of Acts. He says this, So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we all save the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. What's going on here is in the early, early church, the first church was Jewish. It didn't look like you and me. It was a Jewish church. And so the first believers, the first church, it was Jewish. And then all of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit shows up and it goes, it blows up. And then people from all kinds of manners of life and all walks of life are getting saved. They're meeting Jesus. They're giving their lives to God. They're getting radically converted. And so we have what we call Gentile believers, which are non-Jewish believers showing up on the scene. And the Jewish believers are like, well, to be saved, you have to believe Jesus, but also observe this and do this and cut this off. And it got crazy, man. It got crazy. And so they're addressing the same issue. Like, stop putting more stuff on grace. Stop putting more laws. Stop taking stuff like this and adding it to the grace of God. Let me tell you, friends, if, you, if you're unsure today, let me just spell it out for you. If you, if you want to know how to get saved, how to get right with God, how to have your sin forgiven, how to go to heaven, how to know the life-giving life that Jesus brings you, the transformative power of the work of God from the inside of you out, it doesn't come by being good enough. It doesn't come by not drinking wine. It doesn't come by keeping a whole bunch of rules and laws. It doesn't come by you earning your way there. It comes expressly by the grace of Jesus through the finished work of the cross. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't get it because you're good enough. You don't, you don't get it because I was a good person. No, 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 no. You don't get it because you're good enough. You don't get it because you keep all the laws. Listen, you couldn't keep the law. That's why Jesus came and fulfilled the law. He accomplished it. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. Why? Because we never could on our own. So stop adding more law to what is a free gift of grace. It's a free gift and it's still available to you today. 
In fact, anyone in this room, it's still available to you. I received that gift of grace 19 years ago and it radically transformed and changed my life from the inside out. I was trying to find my way to God, but then God found His way to me. I'm gonna tell you, friends, it's grace. Don't, don't take something that's a conviction of conscience and make it a law. It'll be a burden you can't bear. It's always, always, always been grace. The second thought is this. Number two, if you take your notes and want to get to heaven, write this down. <laughs> Number two, fight for unity. When it comes to stuff like this, we've got to fight for unity. Fight for unity. I've been walking with Jesus for 19 years, and I've been on church staff for 17 of those 19. So I've been in church leadership in some capacity for a long time. And if there's one thing I know, that there is a very real enemy to our faith. And he would love nothing more to divide us and cause disunity within the body of Christ. That's like, if there's one thing he's after, it's us pulled apart. It's us without unity. Because where there is unity, there is power. Where we are unified and we are together, there is power. The Bible says that, that God's commanded blessing is within unity. When we dwell in unity, when we are unified, there's God's commanded blessing. And in fact, it says that the anointing flows. If we want to see more miracles, more healings, more breakthrough, we've got to stay unified because that's where God moves in a unified church. And, and, and the devil just wants to pull the church apart. And here is how the devil will do this. He will not do it through this stuff. Because we're like, we're strong on that. Moral absolutes can't get away from it. Essentials, we hold to those. Here is where the devil causes disunity. And this is where most churches around the world, world split. It's over non-essentials and convictions of conscience. They begin to believe that if you want to be in our church, you have to believe exactly the same as us. And if you don't believe the same as us, then you're wrong and you're this and you're that. And all it does is divide. All it does is pull apart. But listen, we don't major on minors around here. Like, if you want to major on a minor, this isn't the church for you, man. We don't major on minors. Division comes when we major on minors. It's when we take these things and make a big deal out of them, we don't major on minors. In fact, in this church, we choose to fight for what we do agree on rather than fight about what we disagree on. I'll say that again. We choose to fight for what we do agree on rather than fight about what we disagree on. Let's fight for what we do agree on. Like, we don't have to fight about what we disagree on. We can agree to get along. We can agree to be okay. We can agree to have different opinions on some of this stuff. But we can still be okay. We can still be friends. We can still love Jesus. We can still pursue Him and go after all He's got for us. I love in Romans chapter 14, verse 1 to 6. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience, issue of conscience, will only eat vegetables. Pray for that person. <laughs> those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him. Stop making a big deal about it. 
Romans 14, verse 17 to 22. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of, the living, but, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony. What else is harmony? Unity in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat, over insignificant, inconsequential things. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that have decided is right. Let me just nutshell the, this passage to give you a few like takeaway points. It's going to be up on the screen here. That'll help you. Uh, if you want to take a photo of that, you can do that. Uh, if you don't want to, then don't. But you take, if we can go to the next slide. Here we go. Here's what Paul is saying here. Strive for peace. Strive for peace. Don't let disunity get creep in. Let's, start, let's strive to be together. Accept one another when we differ. We don't all have to agree, but we can agree to get along. We might be different. That's okay. Don't pass judgment on a disputable matter. Look, if it's, if it's a non-essential or a conviction of conscience, don't judge people, man. Stop judging people. The Bible says the way you judge is the way you're going to get judged. Be careful, all right? Don't be on a campaign to convert others to your position. This is, this is important. Why? Because we're trying to fight for unity, not, not disharmony. And there's some people you meet that are lovely Christians, but the gospel they preach is you have to believe this little thing that I believe. And it gets crazy, and it, and it just causes division and disruption. Temporal matters aren't central to the kingdom of God. If you think the kingdom of God is about what you eat and drink and what day you call the Sabbath and all that kind of stuff, you're missing the picture. You're missing the point. It's bigger, it's bigger, it's bigger. Don't use your liberty to cause someone else to stumble. We're going to unpack that a little bit in a minute. And keep your convictions between you and God. The only disclaimer on that last point is this. If you have children, you, it is your duty to, to instruct your children in line with what you believe. That would be the only disclaimer I'll make on that. What Paul is saying in these passages is this. Don't let the differences get in the way. Don't let the differences get in the way. Let's fight for unity and let's be unified in all that we do. Okay, we're nearly there, team. You've done so good. You're going to get an A today. Band, if you guys want to join me. Here's three questions to ask. We're going to finish with these three questions. These are three questions to ask yourself when it comes to an issue like this. Now, even if you don't follow Jesus in the room, these questions will be helpful for your life when approaching anything. But these questions are particularly helpful when, when approaching it, something like a non-essential or a conviction of conscience. When it comes to using your liberty, here's three questions. Number one, is it beneficial? Is me doing this actually beneficial? Is it beneficial? Paul says this, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. See, you gotta ask the question, is me doing this, is this good for me? Is this beneficial for me? Does this glorify and honor God, me doing this thing? And, and another part of that is this, is it beneficial for my children that I do this? Like, is this example I'm setting for my family and for my kids, is this, is this a beneficial thing or is this gonna be potentially detrimental or harmful? Is this beneficial for me in my workplace and what I do? Is it beneficial? Will it glorify God? Does it build me up? Number two, question number two is this. Is it harmful to others? 
when it comes to using your liberty, you have to ask the question, is it harmful to others? The Bible is real clear that you can't do anything that is gonna cause someone else to stumble, even if it's okay for you to do that thing. So you might have liberty to do something. You might have liberty to drink wine. You might have liberty to whatever. But just because you have liberty to do it doesn't mean you should. Because we can't use our liberty in, in, in such a fashion that we go, man, I got liberty, like, I don't, it, like, it's your problem. If it affects you, that's your problem. I got liberty, I'll do what I want. Because if you're doing it like that, you're violating the law of love. Love is not self-seeking, the Bible says. Love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't tear down. Love, like, listen, you can't violate the law of love in this. And so there are moments where you have to give up your personal liberty for the betterment of somebody else. Can I remind you that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross? That He gave up His own liberty for your betterment and for mine. He gave it up so that you could be better. He didn't have to go to the cross, but He was obedient to it, giving up His liberty for you and I. So, so there's, there's moments in your life where just because you can doesn't mean you should. When I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for a number of years. When I was a youth pastor, here's, okay, listen, a little disclaimer right now. I do occasionally partake in a beverage of the alcoholic description. When I was a youth pastor, I really felt God challenge me and convict me on this. Um, that I had to give up drinking all alcohol for a number of years. Um, and it was particularly when I was a youth pastor, and it was because of this. I've got a bunch of mates. I didn't grow up in church, but I've got a whole bunch of mates that I grew up with who are like my best mates. Some of them are Christians, many of them aren't. And we like to get together and hang out and banter as all mates do. And we like to like kind of pull each other apart and rip each other down and then go see you later. And we all feel good about it. Guys will know what I'm talking about. It's like the best thing just to, just to mock each other in a loving and godly way. Social bullying, it's called. Put the word social before it, it's fine. Um, and often we'll, we'll get together, like up, up on the corner, like Basalt and Howick or, or like at the Prospect or something like that, and just get together for a meal, have a beer, just chat, connect, whatever. And I really felt convicted that as a youth pastor, if a young person walked past Basalt on a Friday night or whenever, and I was sitting there having a beer with my mates, that they don't see Steve having one beer with his mates having a laugh and going home. They see Steve at the pub drinking. And so the Bible is clear that we're not just to avoid evil, but to avoid the appearance of evil. And, and so I realized in that moment, if I, I, my liberty would say I can do it, but I had to put aside my liberty because I, I did not want to cause any problems or issues with young people who might see me in a place and in a position that might cause them to stumble. So from the, the whole time I was a youth pastor, I, never, I didn't drink alcohol and I never once went to pubs and, I, and I'm still very cautious and careful of where I go and what I do and where I'm seen to be, especially when it comes to things like alcohol. The, why? I've got liberty to do it. I could be like, oh, stuff you church, like think whatever you want to think. No, 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 but I, I have to forego my liberty it's the call of a leader. It's the call of a Christian is that we forego our liberty for the betterment of other people. It just doesn't just, my life doesn't just affect me. Your life doesn't just affect you. 
Don't live in the bubble and the, and, the, and the selfish mentality that goes, I'm just me, I'm being me, and everyone else can like me or like me. No, no, no. That's not the Jesus way. That's not the godly way. Like that's, that's the mentality of the world. That's the Instagram mentality. Like it's, it's unhealthy, it's destructive, it's, it's, it's not of God. The, the Christian life is the giving up of your own self and your own life. The Jesus said, don't take up your preferred version of your life and follow me. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So many people are like, I'll follow Jesus, but on my terms. No, you're following the wrong Jesus. Jesus I follow says, Steve, you die to you. You die to you and you come follow me. And then you find life in all its fullness. Good Lord. That wasn't even in my notes. That was for somebody tonight. Romans 15, 1-2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good and build him up. As a follower of Christ, we give up our liberty for the betterment of other people. My last question is this. Could I lay it down? When it comes to a conviction of conscience or a non-essential, when it comes to something like this, could you lay it down? Yes, right now you might have liberty on it, but what if God said to you, hey, I want you to not do that anymore. I want you to give that up. How would you respond to that? Could you do it? Like, could, could, you, could you, if God said to you right now, I want you to not drink ever again for the rest of your life, no alcohol for the rest of your life. I want you to give that up. I want you to give up watching that certain TV show. I want you to give that, if, if God said to you, could, give it up, could you do it? Because if you can't, if that's a battle for you, then you're probably stepping over into what we would call a moral absolute problem. And that's disobedience and maybe having something else above God. So now you're stepping into a little bit more dangerous territory, which is you're dancing with a moral absolute rather than an issue of conscience. My prayer is that if God called you to give it up, you'd give it up. Because you gotta trust that God is bigger and better than any one thing you might have liberty on in your life. So the question, can a Christian drink wine? Maybe. Yes and no. It depends. It's really up to you. It's really in your hands. The one thing I really do love about our church is we don't major on minors. We don't. We don't give time for that stuff. We don't. I don't think we have time for that stuff. I think God is bigger than the little stuff. He's bigger than the minors. We don't major on the minors. We can have different opinions. I think that's what makes us healthy and, 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 and diverse and fun as a church is that we can be different. And we can think different and we can ask different questions and we can have different points of view, but we can still get on and we can still do great stuff. How boring if we all believe what I believe. How boring if we're all just in one lane. You would only reach one type of person. But the beauty of, of the diversity of thought and, and, and conviction is that you, we, we're different and it blends together and it's a powerful and a beautiful thing. We don't have to agree on everything, church. But here's a few things that we... I'd invite you to agree on me with, agree with me on. Can we agree on these things? Can we agree as a church to love Jesus with everything we got? Can we agree to love God and seek Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? 
Can we agree to not let the little things to divide us, but can we agree to fight as a church for unity every single day, to squash the rumors and cut the gossip and be bigger than the little things and be bigger than the minors, but fight, really fight for unity and say, God, if you wanna do something here, do it. Can we be a church that never settles for anything less than what God has got for us? Never, never settle for anything less than an open heaven and, 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 and a world that so desperately needs Jesus and we've got the answer. Let's never settle for anything less. Let's agree to fight for that unity and let's agree to keep the main thing the main thing. Can we agree to do that? To keep the main thing the main thing. Speaking of the main thing, let me tell you about the main thing. Did you see that little segue? That was clever. I was impressed. I'll teach you how to preach, don't worry. The main thing is this, friends, no matter who you are, no matter what your story, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, there's a God in heaven who loves you. He made you. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not too far gone. You're not a has-been. You're not a nobody. You're somebody. You're someone very special and precious to Him because He made you. He formed you. The truth is that we all mess up. We all fall short of God's standard that He has for us. We all break His laws. And the Bible calls that sin. And our sin, what it does is it separates us from God, creates a divide between us and God. And the penalty or the payment for that sin is death. Separation from God, death. So God in His amazing wisdom and infinite grace, what He did is He sent His own Son, Jesus, to a cross. And when He went to that cross, He died on that cross. And when He died, He took upon Himself all that you and I were due for our sin. That payment of death, He took it. The burden of the sin of the world, He took it on Himself. And then He conquered death and the grave and He rose again on the third day to new life. And He extends to every person here today, everyone on this planet, no matter what your story, no matter what you've done, He extends to you His free gift of grace. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't clean yourself up enough for Him to accept you. You are acceptable, not because of what you've done, but because of what He's done. He met the standard for you and He extends to you grace. Forgiveness for all your wrongs, your past, your guilt, your shame, your sin, forgiven. The Bible says He throws it away as far as the east is from the west. That's as far a divide as He creates between you and your mistakes. And then He offers you a brand new life. Not a boring, mundane life. Not a life of religiosity. Not a life of church attendance. He offers you a life in abundance. It's a life, the Bible calls, it says it's called being born again by the Spirit of God. He gets in on the inside of you and He makes you a brand new person from the inside out. You, you think different, you, you see different, you act different. Why? Because God is transforming you from the inside out. You, you become a brand new person. Then you get to walk into the plans that God has for your life. He didn't make you by accident. He made you on purpose, for a purpose. There's actually a purpose that He has for you. He wants to use you to bless and change and transform this world. Then you get the great promise of eternity in heaven with Him. This life is not the end of the story. There's a much bigger canvas that God is painting on. It's called eternity. And Jesus right now is preparing a place for you. And if you're here in this room today and you don't know Jesus, you've never experienced the life that He has for you, maybe today you're far from God and you need to get right with Him today. I would love to invite you to pray a very simple prayer with me. I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. And if you want to, if you wanna receive Jesus in your life, 
If you want to get right with God tonight, I want to invite you to pray it with me. Now, I'll pray it out loud. You don't have to pray it out loud. You just pray it in your heart. But when you pray it in your heart, I want you to mean it with every fibre of your being. This is your day, not mine. This is your moment. Grab a hold of it. God's here for you. Can I invite everyone in this room just to take a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes just out of respect for the person next to you. That's you today. You're saying, Steve, count me in on that. I want to pray that prayer. You just pray this with me in your heart as I pray out loud. Just say these words. Say, God, today, this day, right here, right now, I surrender my life to you. I know I've messed up. I know that I've sinned. But I do believe that Jesus, you love me and that you died for me. So right now, I receive your gift of grace. I ask you to forgive me of all my wrongs. I turn from that old life and I turn to you. Would you come in now and make me brand new from the inside out? I choose from this moment to live for you. In Jesus' name. Just with your eyes still closed and every head bowed, if you pray that prayer tonight, can I just say, I'm so proud of you. I prayed the same prayer a number of years ago. My life has never been the same since. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to take one little step. One little step. Not a big step, just a very little one. But it's going to require you to be a little bit bold, a little bit brave. What I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed that prayer tonight, either for the very first time or you're coming back to God in some way, I want you to be really brave right where you are. And I want you just to slip your hand up nice and high. Just when I get to three. Now, I'm not doing that to embarrass you or call you out. I'm not going to stand you up and I'm not going to bring you to the front. What I will do is right from here, I will see your hand. I'll acknowledge you. And then you can put it straight back down. This is your little step of faith. Okay. I want you to be bold, be brave. I know there's many people here today. Your palms are sweaty, your heart's racing. This is you. This is your moment. God's with you. Be brave. On the count of three. One, two, three. Hands up nice and high right now. Saying, Steve, that's me. Yeah, awesome. God bless you. God bless you. You're now saying, Steve, yeah, God bless you over there. Right down the back. I see you on my left. God bless you. That's incredible. Anyone else saying, Steve, that's me. That's me. Hand up nice and high so I can see. Yeah, I got you right here in the front. Yeah, over there at the back. Awesome. Right down the back. There, I see you too, sir. That's incredible. You can put your hands down now if I've seen you. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Is there anyone else? I want to labor on this for too long, but I don't want you to miss out either. I don't don't want you to miss your moment. If that's you, just be real brave. Awesome. Well, God, we thank you so much for what you're doing here tonight. And God, I thank you for the main thing. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your saving power. That It's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. I bless all who've responded to your voice and your call. And we ask you to fill them with new life right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just come on, put your hands together for all those people. Isn't that awesome? Incredible. Church, can we thank Steve for a powerful word tonight?